Hey, good morning. Welcome home. You guys who have been to the beach, we're so happy you got to go. That was great. That's awesome. We were here. This is my bike. This is my bike, and um, this is a pretty cool bike. I've enjoyed it for a while. It wasn't too long ago that um, Micah and I went out to Hall Ridge, which some of you know about. Um, it was introduced to me by Scott Egan, and that's where I earned um, my nickname that I really shouldn't probably have anymore. But uh, we were going up this uh, trail, and I'd noticed when I was riding that my tires were low, but they weren't crazy low, you know, just like low. But it, it was harder to pedal, harder to get where I want to go because they just didn't have that. And then as I went along, it kept getting harder and harder. And so we're going up this part of this trail, and I, and I look down, and my front tires is just flat. And look back at the back one, and it's pretty much gone too. And I wonder, something, you know, I think, wow, where did the air go? So we're way in there, and I had to, if you've ever been there, you know it's a snake-infested, dangerous jungle. And it takes a brave warrior to go in. Uh, but it's really, the hard part is, I had to take this thing and I had to carry it out of there. And I had to go across these streams and I had to, you know, all this stuff. And I just thought, man, this is all because, and there's nothing wrong with the brakes, there's nothing wrong with the gears, there's nothing wrong with anything, any of the components, everything's working good. And you can tell that I'm an old guy because, you see, I've got like, I've got suspension all over everywhere on this thing because uh, my old one was just killing me. Is this going to work if I lean this or is it just going to cause a really terrible problem? Um, so I carry it out. And, get, you know, get back to the car. And it has, this is like, it's called a Schrader valve. There's another kind that's bigger, and I didn't have that kind of pump, which is pretty specific. And I thought, wow. So I got to, I got to thinking, what, why did that happen? Where does the air go? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, it doesn't happen on your car tires so much. But if you don't ride your bike for a, even a week, but especially a month, and you go out and you think, well, the tires are flat. How do they get flat? Well, in doing research, which means Google, why do my tires go flat? That's all you got to do now because I don't know if there even, are there such things as libraries anymore? Have you ever seen their buildings and they have books in them? And No, you don't know? Okay. Well, when I was a kid, that's what we did, uh, how we got information. I know, they're just looking at me with like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, but I looked at that, and did you know that actually oxygen molecules are small enough to pass through uh, the thin layer of tubing in your, in your bicycle tire? It's so thin, and the, the molecules there are bigger than the oxygen molecules. Wait, yeah, separated enough for the mo- oxygen molecules to actually just pass through that. So it just leaks. And I think... Like Kevin said, you know, sometimes life just comes at you like wave and it hits you. And about the time you start to recover and you get up and then you get this other thing and boom, and you're, and you're hit again. But there are these other times in life where it's not like that. It's not like a wave or a blowout. 
It's just this leaking of your life and of your spirit and the air that's come out of your tires. Life has a way of deflating us. Difficult conversations. That was my imitation of air leaving the tire. It's pretty good. I can do lots of sounds. Um, you know, a tough day at work, misunderstandings, or you know, you didn't hit the deadline, or the project's not coming together. Overwhelmed by a circumstance, discouraged in a relationship, a confrontation. You know, and over over a time, and it happens to all of us. We just get overwhelmed. So where in my life and how do I get reinflated? Where do I pause long enough to get that that energy and that vitality and that back? Now, I have a, a you know a nice pump, and kids, just so you know that I'm a pretty safe guy, I have a helmet. Okay, I didn't wear it. I should have worn it when I did that dangerous mind-bending stunt. Uh, this is a point. I don't, you know, I could go to the trail and just kind of carry this on my back, but that's not going to work. But where do you go? What do you What are you going to do? How does How does that happen for you? Uh, how much effort do you put? out in relationship to the return that you get? Do you give? Do you just feel this this grinding uh, in your life? How does God fill your tires and push you forward in your life and in your future? Well, today, we're beginning a brand new series. It's called Part of the Plan, and honestly, I'm pretty enthusiastic about this. I'm kind of excited uh, because it's what we're going to be talking about for a few weeks this summer, and it's really learning how to live our lives in Christ and in such a way that we leave a legacy for a long time. Steve Jobs was uh, Apple's visionary leader, and he often used this phrase, let's make a dent in the universe. You know, what he meant by that was let's leave things different and better. And I, I used to speak in high schools, and that was one of my go-to phrases, and I would kind of wrap up one of these talks with that. Let's leave it different and better. Let's leave this place, wherever you go, different and better. And there, there's a reason, I think, why that the early church started with a handful of really discouraged men and women, and just within a couple of centuries had become a global force for good. It had nothing to do with political power or military strength, which by itself is just phenomenal. It's just amazing. It had everything to do with the unstoppable force of a life that's changed through Jesus. We saw it first in the disciples and just how their their attitude, their spirit, their behaviors just went through this radical change and they became different people. 
Well, today we're going to look at the Apostle Peter, who he's just a, he's a fascinating guy, um, and, and what he said about Jesus. But first, I want to ask you three questions. Okay, so if you've got one of the handouts or just, you know, some paper or something, if you could uh, just write these questions down because you may not have enough thinking time to really process this today and, you know, give a good answer. So write this down. Question number one, if you could sum up your life to this point in a single sentence, how would you do it? Uh, I had an aunt that I haven't seen in probably 10 years at least contact me recently and said, how are you doing? Are you still in Knoxville? You know, and in, in almost one sentence, I said, yeah, we're still at Knoxville. We're at Calvary. Things are going good. We got the three kids. You know, two are married now. One is in college. Uh, we have a grandson. He's 18 months old. And uh, we're, we're doing great. How are you doing? I just summed up a decade just like that. You know, and we, we hear, we do that all the time. Well, being as accurate as possible, just between you and yourself and God, the one who really knows you, knows you, how would you summarize your life? Um, you know, for example, I had a, a tendency to take the easy way out, or really, I kind of, I just looked out for myself, or, you know, I'm pretty legalistic, I always dotted every I and crossed every T and made sure that happened. I kept all the rules. I stayed in the house. Um, you know, or, or, you know, Dan, I just, this is between me and God. I'm really pretty awesome. <laughs> just simply put, I'm just kind of an awesome person. And, and you know, I just don't want to say that out loud or, or I mean to be. Most of the time I am. How would you summarize your life? Question number two. How would those closest to you summarize your life up to this point I'm not talking about your enemies or your frenemies I'm talking about those that you know the best that know you the best and love you the most how would they being fair and accurate summarize your life up to this point well you know he's got a really good heart but you can't count on him you know, he's, he's not going to come through. Or she has such an explosive temper, and when she goes off, you need to just get out of the way. Just stay out of the way. Or, you know, whenever you're in a jam, that's your guy. That's your go-to guy to call because he will, he will be there for you. All right, question number three. Looking beyond today um, toward the totality of your life, when all is said and done, and your time to go has come. All right? You got your ticket in your hand. It's time. It's over. How would you want your life to be summarized? Not only by yourself, not only by others, the eulogy, you know, at your funeral, but also by our Heavenly Father. How would you want your life to be summarized? Not only by yourself, not only by others, but also by our Heavenly Father. And when your thoughts and your deeds and your motives and all your intentions and your accomplishments and your secrets, all of that's done, what would you like the evidence to suggest that your life was all about? 
the end of the day, when we look beyond the funny things you say or the quirky habits or mannerisms that you have and that we, you know, we can kid with each other about, we know, yeah. But the bigger picture, who, who are you? Who are you and what's your life about? When Jesus walked among us here on earth, he told us what his life was about. He had these mission statements that were built in, and it was not just what he said, but we could see him live that out in real everyday ways. Um, and here's, for instance, in, in Luke 19.10, he said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Why are you here? This is why I'm here. He defined that for us. He also said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Just top it off. You know when you fill your tank up and then it clicks and you think, I can get a little more in. And so you squeeze it again and it clicks again. And if you're like me, you do it again and again, you know, and you just keep doing it. I've got a 57 Chevrolet and it doesn't have the click thing. It just... You're full when it comes out onto the pavement and you're covered in gasoline. Uh, Jesus says, that is the picture. That's what I want to do. That's what I want your life to be, is fullness. That's, how, that's the word he chose to describe how our lives are to have meaning and purpose and joy. So that's why we're here today. Um, this is a room, and we're, a room filled with people who were once lost but are now found have been lifted to life by his love. And that's what Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection is really all about. Now, if you're not there yet and you haven't had that experience and you know, if you feel like I'm just wandering in the darkness or I'm sinking down in my own shame and guilt and the sin that caused that, I want you to know that Jesus can make a difference in your life. He's made a difference in my life in profound ways. He can make your life what it meant to be. And whereas you feel like life has this way of just constantly deflating you, He can fill you. And he can fill your life with purpose and with meaning. Uh, and I, I just, uh, if you haven't crossed over, if you had not made... You know, that you don't know him, I hope you will. I really hope you'll do it today. Um, here's the thing. At, sh shortly after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Peter was invited to a man's house to talk to him about the Christian faith, about, about his personal faith. Uh, the, the man's name was Cornelius. He was a high-ranking soldier in the Roman army there. Well, I won't go into it, but he was... He was on his way up. His career was going well. Uh, he was not a Jew, but he was considered to be a God-fearing man, which meant that he didn't keep all the, uh, the rituals and he didn't eat the kosher foods and he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't do all of that, but he was a nice guy and he feared God and he prayed and, and he, was a, he was a good man. He was a, he was a good man, but he was a, he was a Gentile. Uh, he followed the moral code uh, and had a great reputation, just not the dietary things and you know all the sacrificial codes so he's a good person he's a good person and some of you are here and you think that's kind of like me 
I'm not really religious, but I kind of am. I'm really not stuck on a lot of things, you know, but I'm a pretty good, pretty good person. The Bible says that he was generous to the poor and that he prayed regularly. That by itself is pretty significant. Then one day, this remarkable thing happened. He had a vision from an angel. And it wasn't like the visions I had many years ago. Uh, he, this was a genuine vision from God. And he, he said basically this, your good deeds haven't gone unnoticed. Uh, and if you really want to know what a life in God is all about, you need to talk to a guy named Peter. Now, Peter lived 30 miles south. Uh, these were both coastal towns, you know, kind of like if you go along the coast of Florida. Well, Cornelius lived here. Here's Peter. So he sends for him, and uh, Peter comes up to Cornelius' house, and he tells him all about Jesus. In fact, what he did is sort of preached this little mini-sermon. He preached this little short sermon, and that day, Cornelius was saved, and he was baptized, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went from being merely a sort of religious, nice guy to being a spirit-filled follower of Jesus. His life changed. It was this great event. And I want to encourage you this week to take a few minutes, go back. It's all there in Acts chapter 10. And just read that. It's a historical account of what really happened. Uh, and I want you to see that. But today, what I'm going to do is just zero in on one verse. Really on one phrase that was spoken by Peter to Cornelius about Jesus. He summarized the life of Jesus uh, in this really efficient, uh, simple, elegant way. And I think that inspires us to do the same thing. Because uh, Peter and we are followers of, of Jesus too. Now I want you to hear what Peter said. In Acts chapter 10, uh, we find him talking to Cornelius and he's telling him about Jesus and his preaching ministry all throughout Judea. And, and he tells him this. This is in verse 38. This is so cool. He says, And how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. And just like I summarized my life to my aunt, you know, in just a sentence, Peter summarizes the life of Jesus in that verse. That's a key verse, it's a key phrase. He went around doing good. Because God was with him. He went around doing good. What an incredible way to summarize a life. If that's the best way to summarize the life of Jesus, then it should summarize the life of his followers. We should be noted. We should, people should think that about us. If you've got neighbors or co-workers or people in your family or friends you go to school with, they should think, yeah, you know, they always are doing good things things they're just like they, they do that and because we're identified with over time what it is that we do and who we are and how we express that you know and you hear you hear phrases or you see phrases you know like well haters are gonna hate and it's like well they're always gonna act like that and they're always gonna be this way they're always gonna be that way you know and you're gonna be identified after a while 
And you've heard people, I've heard this all my life, people use this phrase, they'll do something and then say, well, that's my good deed for the day. You know, you let somebody in line for you, or maybe you pay for somebody's coffee behind you at Starbucks, and you go, well, that's my good deed for the day. I don't know where that we, I think we got it from the Boy Scouts, because that's like, they're all about that philosophy, and that permeates the program, but I don't, I don't know. Today, I'm saying that every believer and every church should adopt this value as their own, just like Jesus did. We need to go around doing good at every opportunity. But when you do that, what happens? It starts, you start getting deflated again. You come home and think, wow, I'm trying, really trying, but this is is kind of exhausting. This is kind of tiring to be a Christian. John Wesley was uh, a former Anglican priest. I have a a friend who's an Anglican priest here in Knoxville. He's one of the few, maybe the only one, that that I I know, and he's 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 really powerful in the spirit. Uh, But John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church. And in the 18th and 19th century, his ministry uh, initiated and led in this revival that took place both in Great Britain and here in the U.S. Thousands and thousands of people uh, came to Christ through that ministry. Because John Wesley had this way, he had this thing uh, this is where he could cut through all the religious ritualism and the meaningless formalities and, you know, all of that and just focus instead on the essence of what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus. He could do that. And he summarized the Christian life in three simple statements. And he said, this is, once, once you know Christ, here's, here's our discipleship program. And it was like a post-it note. You know, he goes, here, just do this. And everything's going to be okay. But just a few words, and they're pretty simple. Here they are. First of all, he said, do no harm. He explained that by avoiding evil of every kind, especially that which is generally practiced. He said, just, just avoid that. Early on, when Google was developing and coming together as a, as a company, one of their mottos that they had, and probably still do, is this. Don't be evil. They saw a lot of corporate giants exploiting and taking advantage of users, and they didn't want to be a part of that, so they adopted that slogan. Now, whether you agree that they do that or not, I don't know, but it's an, it's an admiral kind of aspiration for any business. Wesley's second general rule was do good. Hello, just do good. And he said this, at every opportunity to do good of every possible sort to all. He sort of wrapped that up. Now, his third guideline was this. Stay in love with God. Now, these are simple, but they're not easy to live by because most of us, as followers of Jesus, we kind of get told, here's how you be a Christian. Okay, here's what you do. And we start, we start getting a lot of things. And we're like, okay, there's three rules. I can do that. But then there's subcategories to those rules. And in our flesh, we start working really hard to keep up and to do that, I need to do good. Oh, I need to not do harm. Oh, I need to stay in love with God. And, and even trying to follow Jesus, even trying to be His, what happens? So we start feeling the air. Some of you are just so tired. 
because you're a Christian. You think, wow, being a Christian's a lot of work. You know what? It was never, and I did that too. I did that too. It was never meant. God's heart was never for that to be the way that it unfolds and plays out uh, in, in, in and through your, your life. Can you imagine such a lifestyle for yourself to go around and being, you know, doing good and all these things and actually for that to be refreshing to you as you live and go, and go forward? Let's look again at this text because there are three phrases and I always apologize because it's so, such a pastor thing to go and I have three ideas and you go, well, of course you do, Dan, you always do. But I saw a TED Talk this week that supported the ideas that people think in rotations of three. Okay, just wanted you to know. TED Talk says it. I believe it. Verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all those under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now, in this one verse, we see that in order to be able to do good at every opportunity, that just sounds overwhelming, to live that kind of a lifestyle, there's got to be some truths that we have to keep in mind. And the first truth is this. You've got to get this because it's foundational. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> See, I tried to do it in my flesh. And some days I'd, I feel like I'm getting it. And other days I feel like I missed the mark so badly and I'm just tired. Peter said this, and he said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And what we see again and again in the book of life, in, in the book of Acts, in the lives of these people, is that the Holy Spirit is our power source. Jesus himself said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Being filled with the Holy Spirit enables you to do things that you just weren't able to do before. To show compassion, and you think I'm not naturally a compassionate person. To be courageous when you typically would have been full of fear. To be bold when you used to be doubtful and to be timid. To be generous when it's in your nature to be stingy and to not share and just to stay selfish. When the Holy Spirit anoints you with new power, something amazing begins to develop in your life. And sometimes you almost see yourself and you think, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this or I'm in this moment. This is not me. How am I? And that's the Holy Spirit. Think of it this way. If Jesus needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit, how much more do you need that? How much more do I need that? So make this your prayer every day. I prayed this while we were singing worship, and just a moment ago, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I need your anointing, or this will be another talk. This will be another lecture or speech or simple sermon. Anoint me with your Spirit like the same way you did Jesus. Would you give me that anointing? Give me the power to do what I otherwise am powerless to do by living your life in me, or it'll be meaningless. And this is essential. 
And when the early church, an, an individual, made it their mission to do good, they soon found the same thing that we found. It's absolutely impossible. And after a while, you just get tired and all the air has gone uh, without the energizing of the Holy Spirit because he takes what was a good deed and he turns it into a God deed. There's something flowing and you know, coursing in and through your life that, that comes out. That's him. It starts with him and flows to him. And it, you're just, you're kind of there. The second idea is this. It will often lead you into spiritual battle. Acts of kindness or mercy or generosity will, can change the course of a people, of a person's life. But it doesn't, I'm not here to say that, and it's going to be so easy, so much fun, sometimes, but not always. In verse 38, he said, he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the, whole, of the devil. Now, the word power there means the authority or the influence or the, the supposed jurisdiction. Because these people were under the jurisdiction of, of demonic forces and they, they kind of followed along with that. And sometimes there's kind of an awareness, this is evil. And, and then we, we begin to get the shame or the guilt. And most people live, even Christians, live their lives with a sense of shame and guilt attached, Right? And he says, okay, you're, you're under the influence. You're under the dome of the devil. And he goes, I'm going to set those people free. And I'm going to heal the damage that, God, that, that the, the evil one has done in your life. He's going to reverse some of those processes. I know that some of you quietly live in that place where there's a, there's a wound. And you feel like there's been a damage, there's some damage that's been done. It could be physically. You know, it's expressed through addictions or other behaviors. It could be emotional, mental, there's memories. God wants through the Holy Spirit to bring healing, to bring healing to you. So he says, that's, that's what I'm going to do, and, but it's not going to come without some amount of spiritual warfare. The monster's not going to just let go of you and say, oh, okay, you know, sorry, I was just kidding. Here, God, you can have, have her back. No, this, I want you to understand, this is not a shallow, surface-level, moralizing do-goodism here. You know, we're talking about spiritual warfare. Listen, listen. When you commit to go around doing good at every opportunity, you're going to find yourself in some situations sometimes that only God can get you through. There have been so many moments in my life where things happened, and I said, that had to be God. I, I, and you've probably had those too, right? There are places of faith where you say, I couldn't have arranged that, I couldn't have orchestrated it, I couldn't have manipulated it. God did this. And you've got stories. I've got stories that when I, I retell, and I think, wow, there's no way, no way, no way I can explain that apart from the presence of God. And that He was, I, I didn't do it, I couldn't have done that. Or this couldn't have happened like that seen answers to prayer and just amazing things. Now, some of us get that as, as believers, but I want you to know that the deeper you move into Christ, the same thing happens on the other side. There will be places of darkness that you will step into that you will not be able to explain apart from the fact that you're in warfare. That there is a spiritual uh, the power that is working against you. 
And you'll think, wow, how did... People will come into your life uh, and you will be able to minister to them. They're under financial oppression. You can help get them out. Uh, but it might mean that you have to spend a little less on you. You think, whoa, I didn't count on spiritual warfare looking like that. People come into your life who are struggling with depression or loneliness or grief or addiction. And you're going to have the opportunity to help them in a unique way. Uh, and God's going to use your personality, you. But it might mean that you've got to let go of some of your free time and some of the conveniences and you're going to have to you know, lean into that. There are going to be times and the opportunity to, to help people who've gotten themselves into sinful, destructive, dangerous situations. And the temptation at that point is for you to go, well, you know what? Good luck with that. Or if you're a Christian, we go, you know what? I'm going to be praying for you. Praying for you. And we, we kind of move past it. God says, no. I want you to roll up your sleeves. I want you to get in. It's going to be a little messy sometimes. That's how it works. That's how it works. We walk with people through these dark moments and through valleys. Now, this third idea is this. It's evidence of God's presence in your life. In verse 38, it says, He went around doing good because God was with him. When you walk with God, it's impossible not to do good. It's just, it's just impossible. You start, your, your desires change. You want to help other people. It's like Jesus said, freely you've been given and freely you give. You just start giving in kind of a free way. Uh, and, and there's more to this message than merely, well, let's go around, when you leave today, let's do good. Let's do good things. Let's be nice people in Knoxville, in our community. No, we know that sometimes we think, well, I'm pretty messed up and I've got issues and we're really not that good. Isaiah said, well, we're like sheep that have gone astray ourselves. You know, he said, he said, we've turned to our own ways and the Lord had to lay on Jesus all of our iniquity. So being good is not something you're going to accomplish on your own. It's not going to come through your flesh and your power and, and you. And more than one way will end up messing up. And, and, and doing that. So when Jesus died on the cross, somehow, some way, all the sins of the world were laid on his shoulders. I mean, your sins and my sins, every sin that's ever been committed was laid on Jesus in that moment, at that time, in that place in history, in him. And he wants you to be able to go around now that he's absorbed that and he's released that from you and what he's done is he's taken that and he's put in his goodness. He is good and he is in you and he wants you to be able to go around doing good because he's good in you. It's not about you anymore. I know some of you have never made that decision to connect with Jesus. And you may have come to church for years, or maybe you just drop in once in a while, but you've never had you know, that one-on-one -on -one connection with God. That's the idea of, of thinking, you want me to do good and all of that, and that's just, wow, that just seems too far out for me. But in Christ, I urge you to make that connection with Jesus. It's just going to revolutionize uh, your life. Now, if you're already a Christian, I want to remind you today that it's God's 
presence in you, in your life, that's what gives you the power to live according to this principle in this scripture. And believe me, the opportunities are going to come. Sometimes it will be as simple as letting somebody merge in front of you in traffic. Sometimes it will be as challenging as walking with someone one-on-one through the darkest moment of their life. I asked you earlier how you or others might summarize your life up to this point, up to today. And maybe that response... If you're honest, something you feel good about or something you you don't feel so good about. Here's the good news. You can change starting today. It's never too late. I've had friends in their 50s, 60s, and 70s Surrender their life, abandon themselves to step into Jesus and to see the difference that he makes. Through the Holy Spirit, you have the power to do that. You can go around doing good in a way that would just surprise even yourself. Just be remarkable. It's not too late. The next season and the places of your life that are coming up can redefine who you are. how people see you and how you see yourself. So just like a bike tire needs air, and it needs it, and, you know, it's kind of interesting to me that, um, you know, when, when you, you do this, you know, and I, I hook this up, and I've got a little portable one I carry, and, and it works the same way. And you know, you, you pump this in, and, the, and it goes up. You feel, you hear that? I don't know if you can hear it where you're sitting, but... You hear that? The word for Holy Spirit, the word for Spirit, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, when it says God breathed into man the breath of life. And you go forward into the New Testament where he says, and the Holy Spirit came upon them like a mighty wind. Numa. It's, it's this word, just the same word we would say. See how God wants to pump you up. <laughs> God, I just couldn't. That's what He is, and that's what He wants to do in and through your life. All you've got to do is just surrender. Say, God, I'm flat. It's all leaked out. I need you to fill me. Breathe into me, Holy Spirit. Would you stand? Let's move into a place of surrender, a place of willingness.